Hi everybody, it's Derek, and this is Foreign Exchanges for November 3rd, 2020. As always, thank you all for checking out the podcast and listening to the show. Uh, Hope you're all doing well with this uh, tense, unusually tense, and a little troubling, maybe, (laughs) U.S. presidential election. Uh, Well, general election, really, I guess. Uh, Coming up tomorrow, we'll see how that goes. Uh, If you like this interview uh, that we're about to do here and you want to see more or listen to more like it uh, please check out foreign exchanges at substack fx.substack.com you'll see a lot more interviews like this as well as a regular newsletter dealing with international affairs and u.s foreign policies so i hope you'll come by and check that out sign up for the free email list and uh, try it out and see how how it goes for you Uh, you'll get all of these podcasts that I do uh, with various experts in different parts of the world and uh, different fields, uh, plus uh, three newsletters a week uh, sent right to your email inbox. And if you like that, maybe think about signing up for a subscription, uh, support the newsletter, and uh, get even more content delivered straight to your email inbox, uh, courtesy of the folks at Substack. Uh, Today, I'm very pleased to be bringing you a follow-up to an earlier newsletter, to an earlier newsletter, to an earlier podcast, sorry. Uh, (laughs) I'm welcoming back to the program Thomas C. Field, Jr., Thomas is the Associate Professor of Global Security and Intelligence Studies at the Embry-Riddle College of Security and Intelligence. He's also the author of From Development to Dictatorship, Bolivia and the Alliance for Progress in the Kennedy Era. Uh, He's had his work on Cold War labor politics published uh, in Diplomatic History and the Journal of Latin American Studies. Uh, He's also the co-editor of Latin America and the Global Cold War, a compilation uh, of essays uh, that is uh, has just come out this year, actually, so it should be available uh, for you to check out uh, wherever you uh, like to shop for books. Uh, he's back to, I had Thomas on the show uh, several months ago to talk about the situation in Bolivia uh, in the aftermath of last November's coup that forced out the then-president Evo Morales uh, and installed a Uh, junta government, far-right junta government in his place. Uh, He helped walk us through the situation as it was then uh, and and looked forward to uh, the then forthcoming election. Well, that election has now happened. Uh, It happened last month, uh, and in a somewhat surprising, I think, I'll ask him if he was surprised, but seemed surprising based on the polling outcome, uh, Morales' former uh, economy and finance minister, Luis Arce, uh, won election as the candidate of of Morales' party, uh, the Movement for Socialism. Uh, by a, a really landslide, given the circumstances, uh, substantially uh, more than 50%, which was enough to avoid a runoff. Uh, second place finisher was former President Carlos Mesa. He finished uh, a good deal behind Arce. Uh, so 
the movement for socialism has the presidency again in Bolivia, and it controls uh, both houses of the Bolivian Congress. Uh, it doesn't have two-thirds, it doesn't have the supermajority that it once had, uh, but it does have control over both houses. So in a sense, I guess, uh, the coup and the effort to kind of oust movement for socialism from uh, power in Bolivia has been rolled back uh, by the Bolivian people, by the voters. Uh, so we'll be talking to Thomas about where things stand now, uh, about Arce's background and, and where he comes at things. I think it's a, a bit of a different perspective uh, than Morales had, uh, but Arce was credited with um, kind of managing uh, the Bolivian economy, which did quite well for most of Morales's uh, time in office. So we'll talk about that uh, and talk a little bit looking back about what we can say uh, with respect to the events of last November uh, and the uh, government, <laughs> as hesitate to use the word there wasn't it wasn't a very legitimate government but the government that uh, has been running Bolivia or had been running Bolivia uh, for most of this year uh, so we'll go through all of those things and maybe look ahead to what is likely to come uh, as Arce takes office uh, there are have been some protests uh, in Santa Cruz for example led by uh, far-right leader uh, Fernando Camacho uh, so we'll talk about that and uh, whether he expects any more of that, uh, as well as where he expects Arce to go. There's some uh, he's somewhat constrained, certainly by the circumstances. I think the turmoil uh, of the coup and the the months after that uh, have left Bolivia in a precarious situation, and that's not even factoring in uh, the effect that the COVID nineteen pandemic has had uh, on the Bolivian economy. So there's a lot of a uh, uh, lot of rebuilding. I think. That it's going to need to be done before we can start talking about kind of building on what Morales achieved. So uh, we'll talk about that, talk about all those things uh, when I get him on the line here for the interview. Okay, I am being joined for the second time, uh, returning champion uh, Thomas Field. Uh, Thomas, thank you for coming back and giving us uh, an update on what's been going on in Bolivia and uh, maybe a, a bit of context for what's about to happen. Sure, it's it's my pleasure. If if, if things go well, maybe this will be the last time you, you'll have me on for a while, which would be just fine with me. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's like uh, if there's nothing going on, if you don't get uh, don't get an interview, then uh, it means things are probably going okay. So that's... Right. Right. no one called me to talk about Bolivia for the first 14 years of my research. So um, I was happier then for Bolivia, uh, Bolivia's sake, right? Um, and uh, yeah, it's been a, it's been a, it's been a, it's been a stressful year uh, for for Bolivia and for Bolivians. I I can't even begin to imagine what it's been like but let's let's talk about that let's start with yeah. um the background here i mean you've been on the program you were on in the program in may uh to discuss uh the events of last november and the removal of uh, former bolivian president evo morales the junta government of janine Añez, or interim government i guess if you want to be neutral about it uh that took power um if people haven't 
listen to that interview, although I strongly urge you to go back in the archives and check it out. Uh, but if people haven't done that, can you give us the uh, you know couple of minutes summary of how things kind of got to the point where Morales was uh, removed and, and this interim government took over? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 probably it's probably a good idea to step back even a little bit further and 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 look at uh, Eva Morales um, as you know kind of a um, a, a historical figure. Uh, I think I think we actually may look back on Eva Morales as um, as a as a historical figure for the entire region, not just for Bolivia, but certainly for Bolivia. Uh, he was the most popular president by far in Bolivian history. The only president in Bolivian history to be reelected at all uh, successfully. Uh, you know, um, there was a president who was reelected in 1964, but was immediately overthrown uh, three months later, uh, Victor Pazes and Soto. So, uh, Evan Morales was not just reelected once, uh, but twice and three times. This would this would have been his fourth reelection in 2019, uh, and he was he was he was elected by huge margins. Um, you know, his first three his first three elections. Um, and it just sort of, you know, that's not common in Bolivian history, uh, a country with the with the tradition of, of uh, of no re of no reelection. So I think, you know, why was he elected so many times? His 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 movement, uh, the movement uh, movement towards socialism is the name of the of the sort of uh, uh, they call it a, a movement of movements, uh, a political party that really is a uh, coalition of of all the major social movements in Bolivia, from the peasant federation to the um, workers federation to the uh, several indigenous organizations um, working class neighborhood associations and uh, and they and they sort of co-governed for for 14 years between 2006 uh, January 2006 and November 2019 uh, at which point as you as you suggest the mass party uh, the, the mass government was overthrown and a kind of a violent um, um, you, know, you can call it a coup. You can call it a putsch. Uh, I think that, that's the Spanish pronunciation of, of basically the German word "push," which is a, you know, a right-wing, uh, a right-wing coup that, that that incorporates a lot of civilian, middle-class and and and, and right-wing revanchist civilian participation. Um, you know, I, th I think that you know, for those who, you know, to avoid getting ca caught in the coup, not not coup conversation. I mean, the pu a push seems like a a decent way to understand the events of October and November 2019. Um, the narrative of 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 Evo Morales and the Mass Party having become a dictatorship or uh, having had authoritarian tendencies had been kind of um, uh, it been it been turned up slowly uh, throughout the course of the 14 years and you know various moments uh, the, the the opposition in Bolivia the the right wing opposition and, and and sometimes the sort of middle class liberal opposition would um, complain about the Mass Party's um, what they what they would refer to as the authoritarian tendencies, um, and 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 that that sort of hit fever pitch uh, in the in the last uh, couple of years, um, particularly when Eva Morales's party attempted to uh, change the constitution or, or to amend the constitution to permit uh, indefinite reelection on the basis of uh, of um, you know the human rights of you know everyone has the right to run. Uh, this was this was shot down by by a popular referendum narrowly 
in kind of a dirty election that included um, some false accusations that Eva Morales had had a love child with a lobbyist uh, for a Chinese company, which was found to be false. Um, the, the, the love child never appeared, or I guess when they did a, produce a child, it was not Eva Morales's child. That, that happened like in sort of an October surprise right before that referendum. Um, he then, uh, his party then took, took their case to the Supreme Court of Bolivia, which ruled in his favor and allowed him to, to run for re-election. Uh, that re-election campaign was endorsed by the Organization of American States and others who sort of encouraged him to go ahead and, and run for re-election. It was uh, negotiated uh, by the social movements in Bolivia, where they had several days of debate to decide whether or not, you know, to ask him to run again or to you know, maybe find a successor. Um, obviously, it was a strategic error, uh, something that Eva Morales pointed out from exile in November 2019, that it was an error to, to have run again. Um, his reelection went went forward. Uh, he won reelection uh, in uh, October 2019, but the results of that election were put in question by the opposition that claimed fraud without really any evidence. The Organization of American States um, put forth a few declarations uh, in between October 20th and November 10th, uh, 2019, when he was overthrown, um, sort of without really any foundation at all, just claiming that there was irregularities, that there was fraud, um, very sort of overwrought language that the OAS used to um, throw really fuel on the fire. Uh, and, and, and the narrative of dictatorship, the narrative of authoritarianism, and really the narrative of electoral fraud, which had been, um, which had really started well before the election on October 20th, 2019, that began to take on sort of um, increasingly violent tenor, and the police and, and then the military all st stepped in to sort of well, the police, much more violently than the military, the police took to the streets with uh, right-wing protesters, and, and and you know there were there were originally some liberals and maybe even some left, sort of independent left, anti-mass uh, individuals and groups who had who had been you know complaining about electoral fraud before the election. Um, they were quickly subsumed by the by the right, by the far right, and the military. Sorry, the police took to the streets. Uh, the military then refused to intervene, and Eva Morales was overthrown. When we talked in May, it was sort of at the height of um, the pandemic in Bolivia. We were talking about some of the actions of Janine Añez's government sort of uh, overstepping its bounds with in terms of, uh, you know, this was a government that that came to power with one mandate, which was to hold a new election and install uh, a, a legitimate government whatever the outcome of that election may have been uh instead uh you know you can go into more detail about this but instead you know they they took a lot of steps to uh you know change bolivian foreign policy to uh kind of get into it and start making decisions that really i don't think they had uh the the legitimacy to make um and, and you know this all was sort of in the context of the pandemic uh which forced or um, you know, we can argue about whether these were legitimate uh, decisions to postpone the election uh, a couple of times, ostensibly because of the pandemic. Uh, you know, I, a lot of people argued, I think, that it was because uh, movement towards socialism was leading in the polls and they didn't want to hold the election under those conditions. Uh, um, but I, I guess sort of give us an update on, um, you know, the kinds of things that, that the Anya's government 
got into as we sort of get to the election itself, uh, especially since the last time we were on the show in May. Um, and, and you know, it, what can what can we sort of say overall uh, about Añez and, and this interlude uh, in Bolivian politics? Can we draw any conclusions about it uh, at this point or, or do we need some more distance from it? Well, I mean, it's, it's a good question. I think to, first, let's talk about the uh, I think the interim the interim government of Janina Agnes. Um, you know, I, I think the, the one thing that we know is that the interim government and its behavior, uh, which included carrying out of, of, as you mentioned, a couple of incredibly brutal massacres of um, essentially anti-coup protesters who came out after the overthrow of Evo Morales. Um, depicted by many liberals, many middle cl- middle class sort of anti-left and anti-indigenous urbanites in Bolivia as hordes, as 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 criminal hordes, uh, controlled by the Coca Growers Association, um, with a lot of racist language. These 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 uprisings against the coup uh, were were depicted as as sort of terrorist hordes, seditious hordes, um, and so Janina Enyes immediately gave impunity to the armed forces. Uh, to come out into the streets and support the the police, who had already sort of become very politicized uh, in their and uh, in, in their adherence to the right wing uh, push in, in November or sort of early November, the military then you know was was you know came out with the police to to carry out joint exercises to put down these 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 uprisings that were you know really in, in a way uh, designed I think to um, to demand a restoration of democracy to demand that uh, the the legally elected government of Evo Morales return and serve out the remainder of of its mandate, which which it had won with over 60 percent of the vote five years earlier uh, and was not set to end until January, really. And Evo Morales had already agreed to hold new elections, uh, had agreed to 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 hold new elections with a new electoral commission, a new electoral court. uh, And that's what these these protests were meant to uh, demand. And and they and, and the military and the police uh, under impunity order from Agnes, uh, met these protesters with lethal force, uh, killed dozens and and injured hundreds. Uh, there's ongoing investigations into this. This is the you know the massacres of Sincata and Sakawa are going to be uh, you know if 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 Bolivia successfully is able to regain its democracy on on Sunday, which is which is still in question. Um, you know what 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 is to be done about the people that carried out these massacres is is still going to be. Uh, very much a question. So, so I mean, the Anyas government came in with all guns, sort of all guns blazing. It, it was the most brutal. You know, if you consider it to be a coup cycle, essentially, like the you know a coup government takes over, oftentimes in a bloodless way, um, and 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 the bloodshed happens when people uh, rise up against the coup government because the coup government generally takes over with the promise of elections. I mean, that's almost always. We you know we we have a very poor understanding of of Cold War coups. Uh, in, in, in a sense, because we've, uh, you know, we, 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 we've, you know, they, they become sort of the, the monsters of the Cold War era. But in reality, almost all the coups happened with civilian support and almost all the coups occurred with the president's promising elections within a certain period in t- of time. So this wasn't that much of an outlier, really. Uh, the fact that they, they scrambled to find a, a civilian figurehead, um, you know, just reveals sort of um, you know, coup d'etat 2.0 or, you know, dictatorship 2.0. Um, I, I'd like to just say a quick word about how Agnes was, was, was selected. Um, and, and, there, and, and we know a little bit more about this because some of the, 
uh, plotters have come out, you know, those who didn't consider themselves to be plotters, um, you know, people who consider themselves to be basically uh, anti-mass freedom fighters, <laughs> uh, people like uh, human rights um, activist Waldo Abarasin, who was the rector of the university, has come out and sort of talked to people about how Agnes was picked. And, uh, you know, there was a meeting the night of, um, of her pro- self-proclamation at Catholic University. The Catholic, the Catholic Bishops Association of Bolivia called the meeting and uh, essentially, it was it was held by the 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 right and maybe the liberal forces, sort of the moderate, sort of anti-left moderates, the right, the Catholic Church, and the Brazilian ambassador um, were all there, and and they sort of they they found um, the New York Times presents this meeting by the way as like this moment where the elders of Bolivia got together and found a way to avoid outright military dictatorship by 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 picking out Agnes as a potential as 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 a uh, former Banzer vice president for, for, for the former dictator put it, you know, Agnes was their only um, thread of constitutionality that they could find. And they, and, and they, and they pushed her forward and they had her proclaim herself president in front of an empty chamber, um, a chamber that was being guarded by the police, the, 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 the coup mongering police basically wouldn't allow um, the mass parliamentarians in uh, those who even had the courage to leave their houses because they were being attacked in the streets by 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 far right paramilitaries. Their houses were being burned down. So Agnes was basically selected by this you know collection of of Catholic uh, elders, right wing, uh, non elected, all non elected sort of um, former presidents and failed and failed candidates. And the Brazilian ambassador was there. So that's how she was selected. As you say, she was selected to call elections, but that was merely a pretense that I think fooled a lot of people in the West, a lot of sort of well-meaning liberals um, into thinking that this was anything other than a right-wing putsch. Um, and of course, as you mentioned, she immediately reoriented Bolivia's entire foreign policy, uh, broke relations with Cuba and Venezuela, um, recognized the self-appointed governments of Juan Guaido and Venezuela, um, invited an, uh, the U.S. to send an ambassador back into the country. They had been expelled for meddling back in 2008 in an attempted right-wing coup then. Invited USAID back in the country. USAID actually provided logistical help for these elections, these 2020, the redo, which was a little un- unnerving at first for those of us who have studied the history of USAID. Uh, uh, <laughs> I think some of us have to admit that <laughs> apparently, uh, you know, e- either, the, either, either they never, ha- you know, either Agnes... And the U.S. government never had a plan to sort of rig anything, and they were just literally uh, trying to carry out, you know, sort of fair free elections. Or the mass victory was so huge that there was just no way that it could have been uh, sort of um, plausibly rigged. Um, but uh, I think, you know, uh, she did have a mandate to call new elections, but in reality, the entire system was put in place, the entire interim system, to avoid the mass ever coming back into power. And she aggressively campaigned against the mass. Uh, as you know, she considered the mass to be satanic, indigenous people, communist, atheist, you know, every, everything that you could say about a left indigenous popular movement, she, she said, and, and she spent her, you know, her entire political capital uh, when she and her cronies weren't stealing everything they could uh, into brutally suppressing the mass, attempting to disenfranchise mass uh, districts, mass areas like the coca growing region, um, you know, putting people in, in jail just for, you know, leaving their house. I mean, it was one of the most brutal 
uh, quarantines in the Western Hemisphere, and uh, you know, uh, an, you know, an attack on 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 public health was grounds for being held in jail. Uh, we still don't know how many political prisoners um, were taken. A lot of people are still in jail or in exile or in asylum. And so it was a very brutal period. Uh, and and the pandemic, as I wrote in, I wrote in an article I published in August, the uh, um, the, the, the left, the, the, those who had been disenfranchised, those whose democracy had been taken away from them, um, said that, you know, that COVID, the, the, the pandemic fell like mana from heaven for the fascist government. Um, and I think that really sort of reveals the sort of desperation that people felt um, being um, taken off the streets um, for pub- publishing things on the internet. There was a, you know, several people were taken in uh, into jail for cyber, uh, gr- for being cyber guerrillas, like uh, guerrilleros, like cyber warriors. Um, and so, finally, having held elections is a real relief for a lot of Bolivians. And um, you know, they wouldn't have had those elections without the mobilizations that people increasingly took to the streets. One of the leaders of those mobilizations was the mine, the mine worker. Uh, union leader who was just killed in the uh, after the election. He was uh, there was some there was a mysterious um, death of of him. He was one of the biggest resistance fighters against the interim government to demand elections. Um, so there's still a lot of 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 healing that has to take place. I think one of the one of the worst um, one of the worst um, legacies of this coup and this this entire cycle of repression and um, and of military and police involvement in politics is that now, um, right now, there's there's right wing groups all over Bolivia demanding, you know, calling for a military coup. They're holding vigils in front of the police departments, in front of the military barracks, you know, demanding, the, you know, asking, begging for the military and the police to intervene again to stop the communists and the savages and the atheists from coming back into power. Um, they're claiming electoral fraud, just completely out of any touch with reality. And and that's a legacy that you know since 1983 there really hasn't hadn't been in Bolivia open calls for military intervention in politics or police intervention and that's going to be hard to put back in to the Pandora's box that it's been released from I think a lot of uh, liberals and um, especially in the United States and, and Europe who who thought this was a victory for democracy because you had this government that had been elected four times and it was just too much and it was it's not good to have re-election, you know, the, the, their support for the military intervening to remove or to to suggest to sort of push out Eva Morales is something that uh, the legacy of this is going to be very, very hard to uh, put back into uh, Pandora's box. Let's talk about the election. You you are you mentioned uh, there a couple of minutes ago the 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 pressure uh, that was brought to bear uh, on Añez and her government to finally hold an election. Um, talk a little bit more about that and the the nature of that and and what uh, in your view you know kind of finally after. They tried to, to continue to put it off. Not only, uh, you know, kind of forced uh, Anya's to hold an election, but to uh, allow movement toward socialism to to participate. I mean, instead of just kind of as you as you said, you know, uh, kind of cutting it out of Bolivian politics, which was uh, seemed to be her her remit to a large extent or her goal uh, in in you know in her interim government. Uh, how did how did we get to the point where um, MAS was allowed to run and and the election was allowed to take place? Yeah, it's it's you know it, the mass 
victory in, in, in just a couple of weeks ago <clears throat> was uh, October 18th, I guess it was. It's, um, the mass victory was certainly not a foregone conclusion. Um, I think a lot of people within the mass and also within, you know, around the different opposition groups uh, thought that without Evan Morales, it would be it would be impossible to maintain the mass coalition together. So I think the first goal of the interim government was to um, exile Evan Morales, charge him with uh, terrorism and sedition and electoral fraud, uh, ex, you know, exile him. From, I mean, there was actually several attempts um, on his life. I mean, you know, there was a bomb uh, of the presidential helicopter. Um, there was, you know, him, him to get out of Bolivia was an extremely tense moment. I mean, the, the, there, there were certainly um, those who wanted to arrest him and, and do something with him there, sort of paramilitaries. And uh, the official structure of the interim government was never to, you know, execute him, summarily execute him or anything like that. But there was just total chaos. They burned down his sister's house. They were they, they actually um, paramil sort of uh, paramilitaries and just sort of right wing civilians. They, they raided his house like in La Paz. They like they have pictures of people going through it and tearing it up. Um, you know, his life was certainly in danger. So I, mean, I think they thought that if they could just get rid of Evo Morales, I think that was like plan number one, whether it's, you know, physically get rid of him or, or, or get him out of the country, that the mass party would just splinter into a thousand pieces. You know, the um, the El Alto sort of uh, working class district would go with one candidate. The urban intellectual left would go with another candidate. The, the coca growers would have theirs. The, the, the other workers would have, you know, the miners would have their own candidate. Um, and they actually, I mean, there was a little bit of that that was already happening when they decided to put Evo up again. Um, you know, there was a three-day meeting in Montero, Santa Cruz, where they just couldn't really come up with a, a successor. So the mass and the opposition thought just by getting rid of him that they could just destroy the mass. Um, and there were and there was some tension in the first month or two between um, between different factions within the mass. There was there was a sense that those who collaborated with Agnes. Um, were collaborators, and then those who wanted to go out into the streets and resist more, even after the massacres, the first two massacres, that they were the extreme. They were the the the, the extremists, and so that sort of divide between the mass martyrs and the mass extremists was really a, a huge part of the discourse in November, December. Um, I think that you know Evo Morales being able to go to Argentina. Um, thanks to the newly elected government of, of Fernandez there from Mexico, where he first went into exile, he was able to meet with a lot of the delegates from the different social movements in Argentina. The mass groups went there. There's a lot of more harassed at the border. There were arrestees that were then, you know, a lot of a lot of a lot of human rights activism from abroad. I think kept the heat on the interim government to allow the mass party to, to campaign, you know, even though there were huge amounts of harassment and lots of people in jail, lots of charges, sort of frivolous charges brought up from almost all the mass um, officials. But one by one, they sort of managed to defeat the charges. I mean, Luis Arce himself, who was just elected president, uh, had charges of terrorism and sedition and corruption against him. He went, as soon as he came back in the country from exile to, to take up his candidacy, he went straight from the airport to the to the court, um, a judge said there's absolutely no evidence at all. These are frivolous charges. He then got the Bill of Clean Health to go and run for office. Again, there's a lot of foreign human rights involvement to make sure that these things uh, move forward. And so, so the initial hope was that it would splinter, uh, that they could harass the mass into non-existence, that they could disenfranchise the mass by basically claiming that all the coca-growing regions were 
I don't know, narco traffickers. And so therefore they don't have the right to vote or something. And, you know, the, the, there was a lot of tension between them and the police who had basically participated, if not sort of led the coup against Evo Morales, uh, you know. And so um, when, when all these measures to sort of just um, just sort of beat the mass party into uh, into uh, non-existence sort of through brute force, when all that failed, they began to try to take away uh, just the mass legal, its legal right to run. There were several attempts through the courts by the Agnes government to um, to prescribe the mass party, to to make it illegal, to not allow it to be on the ballot. Uh, some of these were, um, you know, pretty frivolous. I think at one point the uh, candidate Arce had made reference to a poll, uh, which apparently is against uh, Bolivian electoral law, uh, you know, even if it's just I mean, I guess if it's like you can't like use polls in campaign official campaign materials, it was sort of an obscure thing. The courts threw it out. They said this is not uh, a relevant uh, you can't you can't prescribe the majority party just because the, its candidate made a mention of being ahead in the polls uh, one time. Uh, but they didn't. It was not for want of trying to prescribe the mass party uh, to this day. Um, there are attempts by the interim government before it hands over power to the mass to sort of foment dialogue about the mass not being a legitimate party or about Arce not being a legitimate candidate. I mean, um, the number of attempts to stop the mass from taking power that are still ongoing, the number of attempted sort of little tiny coups that are going on all the time, this attack on the uh, mass affiliated leader of the miners union, this is all going on. So, um, you know, it was not for want of trying. So I think, you know, having a lot of foreign people in Bolivia, you know, the, 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 the mass party kept doing calls for electoral observers, uh, trying to convince more human rights activists to come and take a look at what was happening in Bolivia uh, with people being put in jail without charges for, you know, uh, political prisoners, uh, torture. Um, massacres. I mean, a lot of people came in, and I think the world was looking at Bolivia. I mean, the the the, the reaction to the left's victory in this election has been pretty astounding for me as a as a longtime Bolivia watcher. No one ever cared about who won elections in Bolivia. All of a sudden, you know, Arce's victory is like the, is like Allende won in Chile in '70 or something. I mean, everyone seems to be looking at Bolivia, um, which is which is both inspiring but also a bit a bit a bit scary for the for, you know if everyone is putting so much hope in this one government. Um, I don't think they realize like how many more um, how many more steps have to be taken before that government actually assumes power in, in September. I'm sorry, I mean, it was on Sunday, um, on November 8th, and then continues to govern with a police force that it doesn't necessarily trust with a military that is at best divided politically. I mean, it, it's it's a pretty stressful thing. Um, so the question to get back to really answer your question, how was it that the election finally happened? Aside from just the international community keeping the Anya's government's feet to the fire, uh, lots of Congress people and senators writing letters to the Secretary of State Pompeo, to the Organization of American States, sort of asking for investigations into their role in the coup, into their role in backing up this brutal interim government. Um, on the ground in Bolivia, the social movements in Bolivia were rising up against just these repeated delays, these brutal crackdowns with no sort of um, sense of any social policy that would keep people fed, would keep people's salaries coming in, and really seeming like they were just using the pandemic as an excuse to just put off elections as long as possible until the mass party finally splintered. If they could just splinter it even in two, then the mass party would, would not win. I mean, if you look at the numbers, if the mass party had gotten 25 and 25 in two different factions, Mesa would have won the election, uh, at least the first round. So this this attempt to destroy the mass was stopped internationally, but also inside Bolivia with the uprisings. And so um, 
it's it's hard to sort of trace uh, exactly uh, um, which groups were at the forefront of the uprisings, but the minor the mine workers were certainly very vocal. Um, uh, Orlando Gutierrez, who just passed away in, in this attack, um, were very vocal. The Workers Federation, the Pacto de Unidad, which is a collection of indigenous organizations, and the National Peasant Federation, all of the um, working class sort of uh, working class districts, the, the neighborhood associations of the working class districts of La Paz rose up, and they blocked about 195 points around the country to demand no more delays in the elections. This was uh, late July, early August, and uh, the mass party itself was in a difficult situation. So I think, you know, it's hard to read into a lot of this, these, these sort of plans, but it seems to me like the mass party, uh, with Evo Morales sort of calling a lot of the shots in terms of he was the campaign manager for Arce Chocowanca, and they determined that they would have an official policy position of collaboration with the Añez government and 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 pressuring her to to hold elections as soon as possible. And then the social movements were obviously at the more radical position where they would take to the streets and they would blockade the entire country and call it and they called a general strike until she refused to, you know, to to uh, delay elections anymore. The the put the, the push to force Añez to hold elections and to and to not postpone any further um, was really a, 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 a triumph of popular mobilization of the social movements, including the Workers Federation, the mine, the mine workers were especially at the forefront of that, and the Pacto de Unidad, which was the uh, coalition of indigenous uh, organizations and the National Peasant Federation, as well as the working class neighborhood associations. And so um, when they called for a general strike and, and they blockaded 195 points around the country on, on highways, um, it really was a wake-up call to um, to the interim government that you know, they could no longer continue to postpone the elections. And when the interim government put out a, a, a an official declaration of you know of, of the new elections would be held on on October 18th, uh, they did so. Agnes herself actually did so in a letter that b- would blame Evo Morales personally for all of the excess COVID deaths that would take place as a result of having held those elections. Um, so she's, you know, she, she eventually called these elections with a very bitter sort of, um, a very bitter sort of uh, demeanor, um, clearly never really wanted to have elections. She ended up withdrawing her candidacy uh, a week or two ahead of time to try to consolidate the, the, the Mesa vote, the, the sort of moderate, um, you know, pro, I think, you know, pro-U.S. sort of moderate um, vote and 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 failed obviously because um, the mass party didn't just win uh, a plurality but they actually won an outright majority a huge outright majority fifty five percent but I think that the, the, we can't understand really the elections without thinking about the mobilizations um, of of the social movements that showed uh, once again that that the social movements of Bolivia were united uh, the, the sort of the peasant worker uh, working class indigenous uh, unity that the mass party had helped forge um, in 2003, 2004, and 2005, and the struggle against the neoliberal governments there and the privatization there in those years, it it maintained itself. In fact, I think it's probably probably likely that during the interim government, the brutality of the interim government, it's sort of of just gross violations of human rights and even its language. I mean, the the minister of government that Agnes appointed was, you know, who's who's like, like sort of publicly identified with some of the paramilitaries that had begun to spring up 
uh, in November, December of last year, sort of, you know, openly sort of supportive of them, sort of with this sort of mutual, they sort of feed one another with their declarations. And, you know, interim, interim, um, the, the, the government minister, this, this government minister, he would use language like, you know, we're going to, we're going to hunt. We're going to hunt you down like dogs. Uh, and he didn't just use this with regard to the mass party. I mean, you know, he'd refer to the mass party as as, as criminals, as um, as hordes. And uh, he really fed this this incredible racism that uh, that that you know, rather than just be atheistic communists, the mass party now was you know savage hordes. Um, and he and he also spread this sort of vitriol against foreigners and. Uh, foreign journalists. He said, you know, we know where you are. Uh, and if you cause any trouble in our country, you know, you, you'll be either behind bars or on a plane, you know, and just just this, you know, he 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 was kind of like Mass's best campaign manager. Some some have said <laughs> that, the, you know, the the interim government was so distasteful that, you know, a lot of a lot of younger people in Bolivia, they don't remember what life was like really before the mass party. They don't really know what life was like before Evo Morales. And so they wanted to try something else. Maybe maybe we do need to liberalize. Let's let's see what you know, let's see what opening up to the world. Maybe we ought to have better relations with the United States. And then this interim government comes in and, and, and this guy, uh, this you know, the butcher of Sincata and, and Sacaba, they call him, you know, the, 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 the who, who ran the security services and, you know, more maybe even more than Agnes was responsible for uh, the the brutality of the interim government. Um, you know, he, he he if that's if that's the alternative to the mass. You know, people want the mask back. And a lot of people that were just maybe tired of seeing the same face on the presidential palace, like, you know, they're like, oh, well, let's bring the mask back because at least they can keep peace and prosperity. Um, the other thing about Maria, which was really strange, the government minister, the head of the security services, is the way he would always brag about his friends in the White House and his friends in the CIA. I mean, he was really, you know, he really, I mean, I don't know if it was bluster. I, I hope it was for the sake of. U.S. Bolivian relations, but you know he would he would constantly talk about how oh I just got back from CIA headquarters and oh they're great with me and they give us everything that they want that we want and uh, the Trump administration's fantastic and the head of Sec the head of the National Security Council for Latin America he's been you know great to us and I think it you know it just it really identified it 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 really made for a very grotesque uh, I think um, juxtaposition between uh, the the interim government. And the mass party, and the mass party was defending democracy. I mean, this is the, the I think this really helped their campaign, defending democracy. They seem like the moderates, uh, even though, and in a way that they had the social movements, the more radical social movements behind them. But all the radical social movements were asking for was democracy. They were just asking for elections. And I remember uh, the late Orlando Gutierrez, who was just killed, um, his, his speech was really was really beautiful in late late July. He said, you know, he said, uh, Miss Agnes, you know, you have two ways out of out of power free democratic elections or a, a, a nationwide social uprising you choose you know <laughs> and they and they succeeded in, in forcing these elections to go forward and uh, now we see why uh, she was so hesitant to hold elections and she kept delaying them and delaying them we also see why the mass party was so confident that the institutional approach would work and that you know social uprisings were only uh, wise um, in calling for elections and not calling for some sort of social revolution they, they played their cards well they maintained unity um, and and they they succeeded now whether or not they're they'll be allowed to take <laughs> to take the presidential palace or or whether or not they'll be allowed to govern I think there's a lot of questions there still it's it's still a very tense situation in Bolivia um, well, well I, I want to get into that we do I, I guess we should discuss the election <laughs> we're at that point now I guess sure, um, yeah. I, I the what it looked like to me you know is uh, you know uh, a lay person basically following the story reading 
polling data that was being released on the on the eve of the election uh, it seemed to me and this is what i wrote in in my newsletter uh, that we were you were looking at a situation where it was going to be a very close fought election not in the sense that Carlos Mesa and Luis Arce were going to be running neck and neck, but in the sense that uh, Arce was right on the cusp of potentially winning a first round uh, victory and not having to go to a runoff uh, under the the sort of secondary kind of terms of, of uh, you know, winning a first round election in Bolivia's system, which is 40 percent at least 40%, and then you you have to finish at least 10 points ahead of the, the runner-up. It seemed like he was just on the on the sort of cusp of that could go either way. Uh, and then, you know, in a situation like that, you the next question you ask, especially in a situation like this, uh, where, you know, people have gone to a lot of trouble to uh, remove the, the previous Moss candidate or Moss uh, president from office, is, you know, how likely is it they're going to rig the this vote and and they didn't it didn't seem like they would have to do a lot of rigging it seemed like they would have to you know maybe flip uh just a few votes to kind of keep our say below that 40 percent threshold or keep uh the the gap between him and mesa to to less than 10 points uh and send things into a runoff and then it's one-on-one and and you know who knows how things can go uh it turned out uh, to be the you know the polling that I saw at least turned out to be uh, wrong in the sense that Arce won a huge landslide victory, fifty five percent of the vote, well ahead of Mesa, uh, presumably too big a victory to be to have been rigged. Were you surprised uh, by that outcome? And if not, why not? Um, but if you were, you know, what do you think explains the sort of failure? to capture what what actually happened was it just a failure to poll in you know areas that were more likely to support Moss or uh, was there an under sort of uh, under emphasis maybe on just how much the interim government and its brutality had turned people off what what factors do you think went into to that Certainly, certainly the interim government, as I mentioned before, I think, you know, they 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 you could not have imagined a, a, a better caricature of submission to the United States, uh, right wing brutality, um, extrajudicial uh, violence against uh, social movements. I mean, it was it was it was, you know, a brutality that had not been seen uh, in 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 Bolivian history for a long time. I mean, some some have compared it with the Sort of neoliberal, sort of um, uh, sort of the brutality of, of the putting down of, of uprisings in two, between 2000 and 2003 uh, under Gonzalo Sanchez de Lozada. Um, I think that you know, sort of, but uh, there was a certain constitutionality to to Gonzalo Sanchez de Lozada. The fact that this was an interim government whose political party had only gotten four percent in the election. I mean, it was just, it was just a, it was just, a, it was, it, 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 if there weren't real lives at stake, it would be a, it would be a farce almost. And uh, much more to me, much more reminiscent of the military governments in, during the Cold War that would take over with absolutely no uh, sort of popular mandate at all and just start, you know, just mowing down those who uh, called into question their right to govern. And, and so it was uh, certainly a wake up call for a lot of people that, um, maybe had left the mass party, uh, had, I'm so sorry, um, had left the mass party and, um, and, and, and decided to come and decided to sort of come home. 
to the mass to the mass party. I mean, there was it was a swing of maybe around eight percent between what Eva Morales got, forty-seven percent uh, in two thousand nineteen, and fifty-five percent, which is what which is what Arce got. Um, so yes, I think that that is the case. But I think you, you you're asking about a few other things as well, and I think that um, you know the the interim government. It, well, when you look at the at the at the shift in the returns, I think you know at the risk of getting a little bit into the weeds about the election itself, I, I think it's particularly important due to what we may experience tomorrow in the United States. Uh, there is a very very strong um, blue shift in Bolivia, if you will. I mean, it, it actually works since the masses' colors are blue. Um, it, you know, um, the mass party doesn't actually you know take a lead in Bolivia, either last year or this year, until they've counted 30, 40, 50 percent of the votes, uh, much less take a 10 percent lead, uh, which they didn't take uh, in 2019 until the last five percent of the votes, as we might famously recall. <laughs> um, and they didn't take a 10 percent lead this year until about 70 percent of the votes had been counted. So, you know, when Agnes conceded, uh, and when the OAS uh, congratulated Arce on his victory, and when Secretary of State Mike Pompeo congratulated uh, Arce on his victory, the official count uh, actually didn't have him up. Not e you know, not even up at all. Actually, uh, the official count still had Mesa up <laughs> because they had only gotten to about five or ten percent at that point. So um, I think that if it had been close, you just have to you know, if it takes several days to count the votes, by the time you finally get the mass party up by 10, you've already had uprisings. You've already had the right wing calling fraud. You've already had the right wing attacking electoral centers like happened last year. So you can have another sort of electoral fraud narrative that can mean a lot of things to a lot of people. Like we hear in the United States when people talk about, uh, when they talk about electoral fraud here, when, when, when Trump and, and the other Republicans talk about electoral fraud, they're really just talking about people being able to vote. A lot of times, you know, they just don't want certain people to be able to vote. And so there's a there's a there's a there's a desire to sort of disenfranchise. And what the OAS did actually last year when they actually were forced, I mean, not for, you know, when they when they when they finally agreed to just provide some evidence uh, of fraud, they just went into 86 mass friendly districts and pulled out tally sheets where it was 100% or 95% mass, and they said, this is impossible, we're going to throw these out. And they could have easily done that this year as well, if it had been close. By the way, in those 86 precincts, the mass party got as much or more this year under an election that was run by the interim government and USA, with USAID support. So uh, clearly there was, no, there, was no, you know, there was no significant fraud last year in terms of overthrowing the election, uh, and there wasn't this year as well. But I think, that's, I think if you're looking for what the strategy might have been, I think you just have to look at 2019. The same exact strategy would have been used this year if the mass party had approached uh, 10 percent or more. But I think they really did hope that the mass party would lose a percentage or two without Eva Morales uh, and that they would be able to sort of um, win in the second round. I think that was your prediction, if I recall from your newsletter, that uh, that, 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 that Mesa would have a, have the edge in the second round. And I think that's perfectly reasonable, conventional wisdom, although th funny things happen and there are people who may be. I mean, I know it's hard to believe, but people maybe who voting for the evangelical candidate, uh, Chi, maybe some of those people, some of these rural people that vote for the evangelical candidate, maybe they then go and they vote for the mass party. I mean, it's it's hard to really uh, predict, but uh, as we see now, the Arce, the mass party had enough to win in the first round, so uh, and then some, so we don't really have to 
speculate on on what their plan was. But by the way, one of the things is that there are right now protests by the right in Bolivia claiming fraud, electoral fraud, the exact same types of people. <laughs> Uh, you know, the, the one thing they don't have now is they don't have the middle class liberals that they can use to sort of whitewash their um, their far right uh, agenda, which is, you know, to claim electoral fraud. They tried to stop the count several times. Uh, it really was like a like a like a bad premonition of what Trump has said he's going to try to do in the United States is, you know, as soon as the as soon as as soon as the, the night of the election ends, he says, we're going to send in our lawyers. And that's basically what the right is doing in Bolivia right now. They're, they're still claiming that there was that there was some sort of massive fraud. I mean, sometimes they're even claiming that now the United States is pro-mass and that the OAS is pro-mass. And so they're actually helping the mass to take over, <laughs> you know, sort of uh, like 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 Obama was part of the Muslim Brotherhood, according to the far right. Well, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, just kind of invent your own <laughs> reality, it basically. It yeah. And it, it, yeah, a lot of people who who believe the electoral fraud lies in 2019, I think they're starting to realize that they were used, <laughs> they were tricked. Um, I, I want to ask you, um, you know, based on what your knowledge of Arce, I mean, he's somebody you've interviewed, and certainly, you know, you have a perspective on on the role that he played under Morales. What what kind of president? You expect him to be, but I think first, uh, before that, that we can kind of end the interview on that note uh, to get the the bad stuff out of the way and and, and maybe on a more up, uplifting note. Uh, let's talk a little bit more about some of the obstacles uh, that he may face. I mean, you've mentioned uh, already, you know, the the obstacles just to to our say even taking power and actually, you know, assuming the presidency. There are court cases. Uh, we've seen protests, especially in Santa Cruz, uh, led by the far right. Uh, you know, they haven't amounted to to much. I mean, despite the fact that uh, you really do have people, you know, openly calling for a military coup to prevent this from uh, prevent this person, this duly elected person from taking office. Uh, it's it's still a little, you know, troubling. Uh, you have the looming prospect of prosecutions for uh, Añez and Arturo Murillo. Uh, you know, that's been recommended uh, basically by the outgoing Bolivian Congress. Uh, you have something else you mentioned earlier in the interview. You have concerns about the police and the, the military and the role that they played in November and whether they're just going to be uh, willing to kind of go back and accept Moss civilian control again. Um, you also have uh, the challenges of the pandemic, uh, the economic downturn that may kind of hamstring Arce once he gets into office. Um, Moss has won majorities in both houses of the Bolivian Congress, but it uh, it's lost its super majorities, so that that could be a, a factor in terms of uh, you know what he has to adjust to. Uh, and there's also um, potentially, and I think you can speak to this. Uh, you know better than I can, but it's it seemed to me that um, you know since the election, there's been a little bit of tension around the idea of Morales returning to Bolivia, as I assume he will do at some point. Um, and and Arce's kind of gone to some lengths to say, uh, you know, Morales is not going to have a role in my government. He's the leader of the party, but he doesn't. He's not going to going to influence policy. And I don't know. 
if Morales necessarily agrees with that or not. Um, you know, all of these things kind of uh, could potentially play a role in, 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 you know, or could potentially challenge our say as president. What do you see as sort of the big, uh, you know, big obstacles uh, that are that are on the you know kind of looming on the horizon. Well, I, I'll take the last one first. I think because it's what most people are most interested in, especially outside of Bolivia, is, is the role of Eva Morales, and um, and, and 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 it actually leads into the other questions you have. I mean, I think there's a, there's there's a I mean, the, the idea that there's gonna be, that there's a break between Morales and Arce. I think that's that really is kind of just a dream of anti-Evo Morales voices. I mean, Reuters, which is not at all, which was not at all a neutral um, a source during the coup, uh, you know, published this article with Arce. He gave this um, interview with, with Reuters and Reuters asks him, you know, is Evo Morales going to have a role in your government? And he said, no, he's not going to have any role in my government. That's what everyone knows. That's an agreement. That's the plan. And so Reuters, you know, they had this hour long interview and the headline was Arce says Evan Morales will have no role in his government as if that was Arce's decision, as opposed to just the mass party plan. Uh, none of the, none of the former uh, Morales ministers that I know of are planning to go back into government. It'll have a whole new face. Uh, but this is, this doesn't mean that there's a hostility toward Eva Morales or anyone else. I mean, the idea that there's going to be a division, it seems like it's just the, you know, there's this sense that Eva Morales is not a Democrat, small d Democrat. And and there's this sort of discourse in the West, I think, amongst people that were opposed to Eva Morales, but, you know, they now see the mass party as having a new democratic mandate. And they hope that uh, Arce and Chokewanka are going to, you know, govern in a less authoritarian way. Um, and what does that really mean? It means that a lot of the things that the mass party is going to do or going to have to do uh, to maintain uh, the support of its coalition, the support of its social movements that are, it co-governs with are going to be seen by many, certainly on the right and many in the middle as 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 not democratic. Uh, and, and I think that, you know, you're going to immediately see a discourse that uh, the 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 mass uh, government is not democratic, et cetera, et cetera. Kind of, I mean, I think that there's a lot of I, I studied the Cold War. There's a lot of similarities, I think, on how the Western press reports on on left governments in Latin America and really left left movements in the United States as well or in Britain. You know, they're somehow not democratic. They're somehow uh, questionable in terms of their commitment to a free society. This is sort of where the liberals uh, sort of anti-left liberals join with the right. And I think you're already seeing this with regard to the RSA government. And and Morales is this figure that if Morales is allowed to come back in and he leads the coca growers union, or if he leads uh, different social movements of, 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 of peasant workers, um, you know, uh, marching in the streets to demand that the uh, Bolivian government doesn't give up its sovereignty in terms of lithium or anything else. Uh, People are going to say, oh, this is Eva Morales making it impossible for Arce to govern. But I mean, Arce is a committed um, patriot to his country. He's a he's a full scale uh, adherent of the mass uh, economic policy. He's the architect of it. I mean, if if there are social movements in the streets demanding that, uh, you know, to move into the other thing you asked, demanding that Agnes and Mario be charged and investigated and, and brought up to answer for the massacres, that's not going to be, you know, Arce may be using uh, in, in international forums, you know, nicer language. But I don't think that he's going to disagree with the people in the streets. They're, in a way, they're going to keep him honest. And that's something that Evan Morales always called for since 2006. You know, you guys, you know, you come in the streets. I'm going to lead by following or lead by obeying. 
And I think you'll see a lot of the similar uh, types of government in Arce. I don't suspect that Arce is going to be a Lenin Moreno, for example, in Ecuador that, you know, immediately turns his back on the entire uh, sort of Korea's entire economic policy and wants to bring Korea up for charges and exiles Korea or whatever. I don't see uh, that happening. I mean, it's definitely possible. And we don't know what's in Arce's heart, uh, but I, I, I see Arce as, as um, essentially being just the next phase of the mass uh, party. And it's a party that is, you know, I, I don't see it as necessarily a massive change, uh, just like the move from, I don't know, from from Fidel to Raul to Diaz-Canel and the Cuban Communist Party hasn't really changed Cuban policy that much, except for, you know, you do see differences of opinion on how to handle the economy and things like that. I mean, Arce is, uh, I don't think he's an orthodox economist. I mean, uh, some say that he is an orthodox economist just because he happened to work well with the World Bank and the IMF. Uh, but, he, you know, he deals with them uh, on a much different playing field on, on the sense of that um, uh, he calls it, you know, uh, you know, he, he's certainly opposed to just handing over Bolivia's natural resources. I suspect that his plan to get out of the crisis and the pandemic will involve a certain amount of nationalization, a certain amount of marketing, uh, nationalized products to sell abroad, like uh, he had done with oil before, with gas before. Um, I, I don't think you'll see a, a return to neoliberalism. But you know, again, it's, it's difficult to predict. But I don't think there's a break between him and him and Evo Morales at all. Uh, I think there will be prosecutions of Agnes and Murillo, which kind of begs the question of why would they just hand over government to these people if the next day they're just going to arrest them? Uh, I, I, that's why I'm very doubtful that this transition is uh, going to be as smooth as people think. Uh, I mean, I think it could happen, but I think instead of seeing a, a transmission of power, you might see more of a possession of power. The, 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 the Legislative Assembly is already uh, invited um, many people all over the world to the possession of uh, the, the the inauguration, basically, of the Arce government. It's not clear to me that Agnes will end up, you know, she's also claiming she's going to have an event as well. I mean, uh, I think they're talking about the same event the same day, but I still think it's possible that you could have two different uh, competing events. Uh, it's a very strange, tense moment. Uh, uh, the police and military have, have shown themselves not to be, you know, full, fully on board with the mass uh, sort of agenda. I mean, the, the, the police are much more uh, concerning, I think, in terms of action. I mean, most of the political protests right now are in front of police headquarters. They're asking the police to intervene. The, you know, the idea that the, the military will just not get involved is what the right is hoping for. I mean, we, it's not, you know, it wasn't a military coup. I think we have to be really clear. This was not a military coup in November of last year. Uh, the military just said, get out. We're not going to defend this government anymore. And the people running, roaming the streets right now, they are now in government. They are now in charge. These police, these these rebel police forces, the, the right-wing civil com, civic committees. Um, and that's kind of what they want to see happen again. Uh, if the military were, were to get involved back in November or now, it's not even clear that they would be on the side of the police and on the side of the far right. Um, I mean, you know, this is this is the talk of civil war has been in the air since November, uh, because uh, many of the mass supporters, they were asking the police, I'm sorry, the military to please come in and and put down these police, um, these coup mongering police officers. So it's not there's not any sort of clear battle lines. I think the, 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 the idea that the mass party can now count on police to defend them, I'm not sure they can. I mean, uh, the details of it, we just have to wait and see. But I could see Arce and, and, 
and Chokiwanka uh, having military units protect them. You know, the Presidential Guard unit from the Cold War era might come back and be the main defenders of the Presidential Palace, the Presidential Square, because they just can't count on the police anymore after what they did back in November and joining the right-wing protesters, so or right-wing and, and others, but mainly, you know, by, by, by early November, it really was mostly right sort of uh, right-wing protests. So will they will they try to purge the military of 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 seditious elements? Uh, I mean, there there are there are colonels right now on the streets uh, calling for a coup. They're calling for another transition government. They're putting it in the exact same language as they did last year that there was electoral fraud. We need an interim government. Uh, there's talk about trying to break the campesino movement, the pet, the indigenous movement off away from the mass party, and trying to you know say we police. We military, we will support the indigenous people, uh, and not the communist, you know, not the sh- not the Castro Chavistas. Uh, so there's lots of uh, different tactics that could still be, I think, used to try to subvert uh, either the transmission of power or uh, the eventual um, uh, Arce government. I mean, it's it's going to be a very difficult time to try to uh, to try to shepherd this democracy, you know, which is a it's it's like back to square one, really. The 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 economy's broke, as you say. The 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 the, the, the they've spent all the money. They've they've run out of foreign reserves. I mean, this is eight, eleven months of just uh, utter destruction. They 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 they've destroyed fourteen years of progress in eleven months. And so Arce does have his um his you know he does have a big job ahead of him. Um, but he does have a huge electoral mandate, and I think he's got the support of a lot of people outside. Uh, who are keeping an eye on Bolivia. They want to make, you know, I think there's a lot of people that would be scandalized to find out that the military or police intervene after this. I mean, most people who went to observe the election, they've left Bolivia. You know, most people that I talk to, Latin American studies people, they they, they think I'm crazy when I say that the transmission of power may not happen. Uh, and, and and I hope that they're right. I hope that the transmission of power happens. And I hope that the uh, Arce government can serve out its five-year term peacefully. I mean, I, I really do. That's 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 a hope. I, I, I want to leave you on a good note, though, and I'm not sure you're going to ask me a question that's going to direct me toward more hopeful, more hopeful, uh, a more hopeful. <laughs> I've got I've got want. a couple of options here yeah. <laughs> where we may end Let's up. See if uh, I, I'll try to I'll note. try to do I'll try to help out there. <laughs> uh, but I, I I mean to sort of amplify what you're you're saying here. I mean, I, it seems like in the 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 media. I mean, there was sort of the election and like, oh, wow, what a surprise. Or say one big, now we can forget about Bolivia again. Um, yeah. You know, to the extent that there's been any coverage uh, that I've seen uh, of the post-election kind of environment, it's been a couple of reports about these uh, demonstrations that Camacho has led in, in Santa Cruz, uh, you know, with people, as you said earlier, actually like openly calling for a, a military coup uh, or some kind of, you know, some repeat of what happened in November uh, to, to stop Arce from taking power, which, um, you know, have, have they framed that as sort of a, oh, these are just like, you know, people on the fringe. They're, they're not, you know, they don't have any political relevance anymore. It's just a kind of, wow, look at how extreme these guys are. Um, but, uh, you know, I think what you're saying is there's there's a lot more to it than that and, and a much greater risk. So that's, I mean, that's something that uh, I think is important for people to keep in mind. Um, I, I guess... <laughs> To, to try and put us on a more hopeful note um, <laughs> as we, we kind of go out, um, I, I have two kind of related questions, I guess. And, and the one is to sort of, you know, based on what you 
know about Luis Arce and his his background, you know, where do you see him kind of moving forward? And I realize there's a lot of rebuilding that has to go on after this, you know, this last uh, almost year now um, to just get back to where things were. And that's partly due to the 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 interim government that's partly due to the pandemic there's just a lot of uh wreckage that that Arce now needs to deal with um but but where do you see him kind of moving forward and putting you know putting this in sort of a regional context um given you, you know that we've seen the the election of Alberto Fernandez in Argentina uh we just saw the the Chilean people vote to uh, you know, rewrite their uh, Augusto Pinochet era constitution. Do you think that there is a uh, sort of mini resurgence? I don't think it's a big one. I don't want to you know overstate it. But are we seeing a sort of comeback of left politics in Latin America after you know a period of uh, of pretty reactionary you know series of elections and, and events um, across the region? So let's start maybe with with uh, you know what? You, what are your you know kind of what's your outlook for Arce's presidency, and then you know you know the the regional context after? Yeah, that's a, that's those are really good questions. I, I think that the the, the so the so called sort of pink tide the the, the two thousand to um, uh, well up until more recently with the election of Bolsonaro, uh, it was it was kind of it was it seemed like it was a reaction against. Uh, neoliberalism and, and globalization and privatization. It was a reaction against the Washington consensus. It was a reaction against basically the forces of, of sort of, um, uh, of uh, wishy-washy sort of middle-class capitalism and liberalism. Um, and, 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 and therefore, because it was fighting against something sort of middle of the road, it, it didn't always take a radical turn. I mean, other than Venezuela and, and Bolivia, uh, many of the the so-called pink tide governments were kind of social democrats. Uh, uh, they 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 used um, they used government uh, income to redistrib- you know, redistribute wealth to, to uh, not not massively, but just to you know alleviate extreme poverty, basically just get people out of extreme poverty. Um, and it was enormously successful. Really transformed the lives of you know hundreds of millions of people across Latin America, from Brazil to Ecuador and Bolivia. Uh, to Venice, uh, to Argentina, uh, way back when. I mean, including you know also um, the the alleviation of, of poverty in Venezuela um, you know, under under Chavez and now, now Maduro. So you had you had you know very very good things for people's lives. But it was, they were, these weren't all radical movements outside of a couple of places. Um, I think that now what you see is is I don't think that tide ever really ended. But you had a certain um, a certain um, uh, 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 21st century uh, coups and dictatorships sort of coming coming in, where you know from Honduras to uh, to Paraguay to uh, to to Ecuador, we had the vice president basically uh, turn his back on all of his campaign promises and against his own president. Um, you had the uh, you know the sort of corruption, these these fake corruption investigations in Brazil and Argentina that tried to disparage political movements, jail uh, left candidates. Um, you know, the, I think what what you've seen over the past five to ten years is the resurgence of, of really an anti-democratic right, um, and 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 some liberals, some sort of middle middle of the road liberals have. Sort of turned a blind eye to this because uh, because I think that there was a concern that the pink tide was getting a little too red uh, and a little too in bed with Cuba and Venezuela, et cetera. And so um, 
I, I feel like that's a real failure, I think, on the part of 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 um, friends of democracy around the world. I mean, you know, I think we really have to, to realize what's been going on in the past few years in Latin America. Uh, I think Brazil and Bolivia are two really strong cases where, where candidates were harassed, jailed, um, and weren't allowed to run. So, I mean, if, if, if you have free and fair elections in Latin America right now, you, the left is very strong uh, as long as the, they're allowed to run. They're not put in jail as long as their parties aren't prohibited. Um, you know, we're, 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 we're in a very dangerous time, I think, for democracy in Latin America. And, and I do think that, that, that there's, a, there's a sense of, of, of maybe a left resurgence. Um, and, and this time it's not a sort of soft social democrat uh, resurgence, but I mean, real alternatives. Uh, you know, if anything, I mean, it's possible the RC government could be more radical than Eva Morales's government, which was always a bit, um, you you know, pr private property was protected in the new constitution. There was a, you know, it was, it was, it was fairly sort of piecemeal in terms of the reforms that it was able to create. I mean, it changed people's lives. It alleviated poverty, but um, you could see a, a, a certain uh, hard left shift in, in, in Latin America as a result of, of the struggle against what, what many in Latin America see right now is, is basically a sort of um, a return of Cold War style dictatorships with a different pattern, a different style, um, you know, diff but, but the essence is similar. And that's an anti-democratic right that is governing sometimes in collaboration with an anti-left middle class that uh, has certain prejudices against the masses of their own countries. And um, so I, I, I do see there being a regional importance to this, uh, but whether or not it's it's able to survive is really key. I mean, uh, the Bolivian experiment could could fail um, if, if certain institutions don't stand up for democracy in Latin America, and I'm thinking specifically of the OAS and the United States, uh, you know, I, I don't adhere to this idea that the United States is definitely on Agnes's side, that the United States is completely against the mass party at all costs. I mean, I've studied a lot of U.S. intervention. I'm no, I'm no naive. I'm not naive about American intervention, but uh, I also see that, you know, it's, the United States is not always. Uh, on the wrong side of history on these things. And there are moments where, I mean, for example, the last real coup in Bolivia uh, attempt in Bolivia was 1983, and it was fa it failed specifically because the American ambassador at the time uh, publicly announced that he was not in favor because, you know, a lot of times these 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 these, dicta these dictators or these despots in Latin America, they're claiming the U.S. is behind them. And, you know, a lot of the left discourse actually feeds into that. Oh, yeah, the, the U.S. is supporting our coup attempt. That's what I'm sure they're saying right now in Bolivia, that, oh, the Americans will be friendly, the Trump administration will be friendly. And I mean, it would be nice if the United States would come out and say, you know, that we do not support these colonels who are calling for a coup right now in Bolivia. Uh, I don't know if we can hold our breath with the Trump administration coming out on the side of democracy, at least rhetorically. Um, but, you know, maybe a Biden administration would would be different. I mean, certainly under the Obama administration, there was a certain tolerance of left governments in Latin America. I mean, there, there you know, it, it seems to me that a Biden administration might be a little less um, a little less willing to be used in that way by the Bolivian right uh, around around the country. Uh, another institution I think that that really needs to be called into account for what they've done in Bolivia is the OAS. I mean, we we, we didn't talk too much about that, but you know, the OAS needs to be. I, mean, I really do think that there needs to be an investigation into why they came up with these uh, conclusions last year that there was fraud in the election. Why, you know, where is their evidence? They still haven't really. Uh, answered really important questions that Congress people have asked about, senators have asked about, uh, many, many academics have looked at the evidence. And so the OAS being this force, this this almost like um, extreme sort of right wing or, or pro-Trump 
force in Latin America. They're incredibly overwrought language uh, about left movements in Latin America. I'm not sure that any left movement in Latin America can succeed as long as the OAS seems to be completely controlled by this secretary general whose language is um, and, you know, you just look at his Twitter account. It's, un, it's unreal. Just it's, it's not a it's not a secretary general, a sort of unbiased secretary general of the hemisphere. I mean, he really is carrying out a very aggressive interventionist policy toward Venezuela, an interventionist policy in Bolivia, and and I, I worry a little bit that there's no chance in in in, in the hemisphere, you know, being able to have sort of free and fair elections long term if uh, the OAS is going to be so partisan in terms of who it decides to work with and who it decides to believe. I mean, I'm still not sure the OAS um, was being nefarious or, or plotting or if they just decided to just be dupes and, again, be used by the Bolivian far right like so many others were last year. Um, I think in terms of uh, Arce trying to get out of the economic crisis, which was your other question, I mean, one thing that he's talked a lot about is the need to reorient Bolivian foreign uh, policy to reach out again across uh, across the globe and have a more, you know, Eva Morales like inaugurated this foreign policy where Bolivia wouldn't just be a beggar country um, going to uh, the United States asking for uh, charity all the time uh, in exchange for, you know, giving away their natural resources, etc. But to really reach out and be a world leader for the poor countries of the world and be a world leader of the, G, the G77 and a world leader of the what we used to call the third world in Cold War studies, but, you know, the, the global south, the have not. And, and reaching out to Russia, reaching out there, you're going to reestablish relations with Iran, with Russia, with Venezuela, with, with Cuba, with China. And, and Arce has said repeatedly that, you know, the, the, the economic deals that they can make, that Bolivia can make, and many Latin American countries can make, are much better when you're able to, you know, to, to, to take bids, essentially. And you don't just take the, the, the deal that the United States gives. He, he, he said that the United States typically offers a deal in exchange for sort of free market reforms or in, or in exchange for free trade and, and access. To, to Bolivian markets for U.S. goods, et cetera. Um, you know, I think that you'll see a, a global foreign policy. You'll see outreach to Russia. You'll see outreach to Iran and, and, and to China. And I think that the idea is that uh, that uh, out of solidarity with what they've experienced, this, this total looting of its country over the past 11 months in a U.S.-backed dictatorship, essentially, um, you know, I mean, that's what it was. I'm not sure that's what everybody wanted it to be, but that is what it was. Uh, there may be some sense that, that the Bolivians can get some help um, while they, meanwhile, try to maintain a correct and, and, and diplomatically um, stable relationship with, with the United States. I hope the United States government is willing to accept that freedom on behalf of a Latin American country to have its own foreign policy. Uh, different American presidents have had a different view of that. So uh, I think there's reason for cautious optimism, uh, but there's certain things, there's certain uh, scores that need to be settled, I think, accounts that need to be balanced. Uh, there needs to be accountability for those who played a role in destroying Bolivia's democracy these last few months. I think on that note, that that is the optimistic note i would like to, <laughs> to leave people with i, I think that I that works i think that works yeah. thank you very much uh thomas field uh thanks again for coming on the program and um yeah i think you know uh, we need to have a conversation sometime about the oas maybe get a, a few other people involved and, and just talk about the role that the oas uh has has been playing and and what role it could play to be a little more productive and a little less uh problematic let's say in the region uh but yeah. but for now uh on bolivia again thank you so much for being on the program uh and uh we look forward to having you back thank you thank you very much derek i appreciate it
All right. One more time, I would like to thank Thomas Field for coming on the program and talking to us about what's uh, going on in Bolivia and what uh, may happen in Bolivia. I know there's a lot of people who are sort of intensely focused on the possibility of tensions as a result of the election today in the United States, but there's still a lot of tension around last month's election in Bolivia that I think the Western uh, media especially has chosen not to cover. Uh, So I was glad to have Thomas on and Uh, He enlightened me. I hope he enlightened some of you as well about what's uh, still going on there. Uh, That's it for us this week. Uh, As always, thank you for listening, and I will talk to you soon. Take care. Bye-bye.